0: I am so excited to tell you that InvestSmart and Intelligent Investor are long-term sponsors of this podcast, and here's something I want to tell you about. The Intelligent Investor Select Value Fund is a unique mix of global leaders and homegrown small caps poised for long-term growth. The Portfolio Manager is Nathan Bell, a talented investor you may have heard on the Rask Network multiple times. The Select Value Fund is designed for investors seeking international diversification and Aussie companies with superior financial metrics. You can invest today at intelligentinvestor.com.au slash iisv-offer. That's intelligentinvestor.com.au slash iisv-offer. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Drew, Meredith, how you going? Pretty good. Good to be here as always. Good to be prepped as always. Um, massive week. So massive so week. So much happening. So much happening. A lot's going on in the market uh, of all places. Bitcoin, so, Bitcoin, surging. Bitcoin surging. Very important news for everyone. Uh, Hands up if you invest in crypto. I have a very small holding that I can not access. <laughs> that and doesn't Drew... count as investing. Yeah, what happens, like, let's say, for example, you do buy shares and then you lose access to your brokerage account forever. Would that technically mean that you're still an investor? No. Okay. <laughs> it means you're something else. So. Okay. <laughs> you're lost in the ether forever. That's like my crypto. But Drew did put his hand up. What do you own? No, I was joking. Oh,
1: okay. I was trying to say there was none. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, Interesting. We did, uh, we did have a client come in this week and the, <laughs> and kind of asking for- an investment in Bitcoin again, like uh, quite a uh, not not very self-directed uh, client, and it was quite a surprise. But I think there's a lot of the younger generations are talking to their parents about Bitcoin, and it's obviously seen a rally to like sixty thousand mm-hmm. bucks. Um, and <laughs> go on. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> I still can't see the investment. They're still talking about this thing where it splits. Uh, where the number of Bitcoins reduces and that automatically sends a price high. But I feel like we've heard this multiple times before. Um, Liquidity. Yeah. And there was something about... BlackRock suggesting that 28% of portfolios should be in uh, crypto, and I was like, pretty sure BlackRock would not <laughs> say that. Uh, I don't think it'd be even 2.8, but um, I yeah. won't speak
0: for BlackRock. This is Australian fake news podcast <laughs> uh, coming to you live. Um, we actually do. We, we we I can. We actually did delay a bit hitting record today, so I'm I'm going yeah. to phone a friend now. For those of you that are long-term listeners of the Australian Investors podcast. You will know that in 2022, 2023, there was a bit of conversation back and forth between Messrs uh, Meredith and Rask on this show, that, suggesting that we were basically playing off for the worst investment. And um, at the time I was talking oh. quite a bit about Dubber and you were talking a bit Did about- Did lose? And you were talking a bit about Zip. Um, now, the, the irony is we have, both of us have owned these companies at one point in time. So, still do. <laughs> okay, so Drew Zip, I'm Dubba. Anyway, uh, Dubba has come out with an announcement this week, and I'm going to try and phone a friend through our new audio system. Let's see. It's an audio system. Let's see if it works. Is it Andrew Derrimuth? No, it's a famous friend of the show. Hello, Owen. Uh, Ryan Newman, <laughs> how are you going, mate?
2: Good, mate. How are
0: you? Good, good. It's a bit of a patchy connection to you, but uh, for those of you that are listening on a Saturday morning, we've called Ryan Newman, the Director of Research at the Motley Fool Australia. And Ryan- I don't know where this is going to go. day, Ryan. Drew here. <laughs> day, Drew.
2: How you doing?
0: <laughs> Pretty good. Um, we we're just phoning a friend. If you could give us a bit of a rundown, mate, on what's the latest with Dubber? ASX ticker symbol D-U-B.
1: Yeah,
2: look, I, I actually uh, texted you about this one earlier, uh, earlier today, didn't I? It was a, it's not a good day to be owning Dubba shares and uh, unfortunately they're all too familiar with this feeling. Uh, so Dubba, for, for listeners who, who aren't really aware, it's really a, a software business that helps to turn voice calls into useful, actionable data. Uh, and is partnering with a lot of telecommunications companies around the world to really embed themselves mm. in their networks. That's the, that's the short story of the company. Uh, it had a really promising story, a really exciting story a couple of years back. And uh, it, it's all really gone pear-shaped ever since. And uh, the the news that I'm referring to today, of course, so uh, back on Tuesday this week, so Tuesday the 27th of Feb, uh, they actually went into a trading halt. They mentioned some issues that had arisen during the audit process as well that was more recent. And you know, by this stage, investors must have been really uh, reeling at that point because uh, that's a pretty familiar feeling for for investors in Zubber. Uh, it was around uh, 2022, I believe, they had similar issues where uh, they also announced some issues with their auditing process or issues that had arisen during the auditing process. Now, the, the specific issue that I, uh, I mentioned to you today in a text, Owen, was, uh, of course, they now suspended the shares. And in today's news, inconsistencies in respect of funds that have been held on behalf of the company by a third-party trustee. Now, it gets worse as you read down the the update. So they lost money. Basically, it's a lot of money. They've mentioned they've managed to recover $3.4 million. Uh, And a little bit further down, it actually says they're still trying to get back another $26.6 million. Now, uh, it's a lot of money in in anyone's world, but, you know, especially when you consider the company's cash balance. Uh, I think it was the 31st of December they updated that they they had about $30 million of cash on hand at that point. Uh, I can only imagine that included that twenty six point six million dollars uh, that they've referred to there. So, um, you know, and there's, there's been obviously a couple more issues arise through that process as well, or through that announcement. Uh, they obviously mentioned too; they they mentioned their CEO and managing director by name. Uh, no, I guess allegations have been made, but it's never a good sign, I suppose, when someone is mentioned by name. They also mentioned in that in that paragraph too that the matter is in the process of referral to ASIC. So. Really not good news for Dubber uh, mm. or its shareholders, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely not, Ryan. And I know uh, you did send me this message this morning and uh, you'd alerted me to it. But I know that uh, you uh, did put a sell recommendation on Dubber quite a while ago. So, yeah. Um, credit to you. Credit to you. <laughs> credit to you as uh... Uh,
2: I, I wish I had sold it earlier, mate. I, I didn't sell it soon enough, unfortunately. As, as you said, we did own it. Uh, it was a really exciting story at one point, and and mm. you know the the results were coming through. Uh, there was a lot to be excited by, but uh, I suppose what we did we, we sold when we started to have some concerns about the business, and I suppose there were really more questions than answers at that point. Mm. And you know certainly, if you can't trust the people that are managing your business, then it's not a good place to be. And again, I don't want to make any allegations there. I'm not going to make any allegations there, but you know this is the second time in what eighteen months or so that. There's mm. been some issues found through the audit process. That's never a good sign.
0: Yeah. And people can refer back to the ASX release where Ryan was um, verbatim reading some of those things from. So plenty of uh, information out there in the public domain. But Ryan Newman, uh, Director of Research the Motley Fool Australia, and I believe you're the lead analyst of Motley Fool North Star. If, they want to, if people listening to this want to hear more from you.
2: Yeah, yeah, please, yeah. So currently the service is closed. However, we do sporadically reopen uh, every few months or so. So please uh, p- please be on the watch out for that. Uh, would love to have some new members on board.
0: Yeah, wonderful. So that's at fool.com.au. Ryan Newman, thank you for joining us, mate. Have a, have a wonderful rest of your day.
2: Thank you. Enjoy.
0: So that was Ryan Newman, Drew. So that $30 million is gone. Yeah, so I'll give you a bit of uh, context on this. So I was looking, so the company... Released its quarterly results, you know, cash flow, whatever, and that was for the December end. So in the Q2 FY24 highlights, it said as a key dot point, cash on hand at 31 December 2023 was 30.2 million. Then into then they got suspended because there was a few inconsistencies. Then they came out with this announcement today, and I'll read verbatim. Approximately 3.4 million. Oh sorry, I'll go a bit higher. A preliminary investigation by the company has uncovered that funds purported to have been held in a term deposit account may have been applied for other purposes and not currently available to the company. And they go on to say, approximately 3.4 million dollars of these funds have been recovered. And as it continues its investigation into this matter, the company is evaluating avenues for further recovery of the balance an action that may be required to support any additional funding requirements as a result. As at the date of this announcement, being the 1st of March, 2024, the company's maximum exposure is approximately $26.6 million. So they found 3.4, but they're still missing
1: 26.6, so 30 million up <laughs> yes. the 30.2. Yep. Yep. All
0: right, <laughs> no
1: follow up questions. <laughs>
0: No, we're not laughing at that, uh, just more the follow-up question thing, but the company had a market cap of $86 million at the time of recording, Uh, and uh, on the 1st of February, so this was um, exactly a month ago, uh, the company was trading at 13.8 cents, but it rallied to 22 cents over the past month. Ironically, um, there was only a few other ASX announcements between the 1st of Feb and the 1st of March. Meanwhile, on the Australian Investors podcast, uh, what else have you been working on? It's been a busy week. Uh,
1: quite a few client meetings this week. Uh, lots going on in markets at the same time. Mm. Uh, got to, I think we've got Stephanie Kelton. I think he's heading over yeah, to Australia yeah, yeah. next week, uh, attending an event International Women's Day. Yeah, cool. uh, it's another week ahead. Um, but had I think we always reflect on some kind of interesting conversations we have with clients of mm. uh, different types. So.
0: Mm. Yeah. So she'll be uh, actually appearing on the podcast. She'll be joining us. It's Stephanie Kelton. Yeah, bruh. of course, mate. Australian Investors Podcast, where it's at. Um, no, she, she's, yeah, she'll be joining us uh, remotely for a little while. Uh, and that'll be great. Uh, we've got some great guest lines so up. So she advised
1: Bernie Sanders, yes. uh, is a proponent of, or an explainer, probably, mm. of uh, Bill Mitchell's Modern MMMT? Monetary Theory. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. wrote her own book called The the deficit, the deficit myth, which mm. I found really that informative, really, easy really to read really popular. version of modern money, monetary theory.
0: So, yeah, so for any of you that I know many of you were uh, really interested in the modern monetary theory episode we did with Bill Mitchell, pardon me, Professor Bill Mitchell, um, she can answer questions. So, I'm going to put some of those to her. Uh, obviously, uh, she's a very, very prominent person in the economic space. So, um, coming out from the US, um, uh, she's on a bit of a, a tour down here. Uh, so, we've got about 45 minutes with her, which will be lovely uh, while she's on the road. We were lucky enough to go to a, an
1: Australian ethical
0: event during the week,
1: um, which was is quite that? interesting. When? On Where? Wednesday night. Oh, okay. Uh, to uh, Quite a nice restaurant.
0: Oh, okay. Right. Okay.
1: <laughs> uh, essentially, like, um, they bought out their CEO, uh, Sir John McMurdo, CIO, Ludovic yep. TO, and uh, and the head of ethics, Allison George. Oh yeah, and kind of had some short updates on okay. everything they've been doing. So I mean it's super interesting. we talked to quite a few fund managers about it, which is AI is going crazy. Um, and naturally Nvidia is going up and a heap of other semiconductor chips, but not everyone's looking beyond that at the moment. We tend to get this kind of tunnel vision. Uh, and there's a lot of talk about the ancillary uh, services that go around that. So one would be data centers. And the way these fit into whether it's a, an ethical or a kind of more sustainable approach, and then the in we can't we can't run artificial intelligence, we can't run data centres without a whole heap of electricity. So how central the grid uh, and solar and renewable energy is to to powering the artificial intelligence trend or theme is incredibly important. So that was one of the big topics that came out.
0: Would you get a battery and solar panels on your house?
1: Yes, I would. Yeah. yeah, Definitely at this point. And my next car will be an EV. Ha! Oh. At some point. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. I just kind of needed to- I like,
0: you know, the, the rev that comes out of a car? Oh, yeah. You're, you're a bit of a petrolhead, are you? No, not You'd really. You drive around a Super Impressor or a Skyline or something like no, that? No, nothing, nothing of the sort. All oh, right, right. But it'd be nice to have a-
1: I think I was in an Uber the other day and there was a guy driving an electric Jag and the Uber driver's like, why does it have exhaust? That's electric. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It, should, it is a good question. Some people just love the exhaust, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, I love the the sound of the electric car winding up because it sounds a bit like a, a jet taking off. Like, yeah. it's like the... Um, is that a fart noise? I don't know. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the Jetsons. Or, sounds like the Jetsons. <laughs> you can actually, with the, the Tesla, you can actually do it so that it, it does fart on command noises. So, if someone sits on a seat, yeah, no joke, as the driver, you can press a button on your steering wheel and it makes a fart noise sound like it's coming out of their seat. So you can just pick whoever you don't like and or you want to poke fun at in the car and you press the button and it makes it sound like they're fart coming out of their seat. Anyway, good times. (laughs) This is clearly the investors, not
1: the finance podcast.
0: That's that's what happens when an engineer like Elon Musk is at the head of the company and uh, wants to make it fun. (laughs) Um, But seriously, yeah, it's- uh, It's interesting how quickly the EEV adoption has taken off. If you do go down that path I would highly encourage you to check out BYD as well, alongside the Tesla cars. They Uh, look good. Yeah, they're really good. There's a new one. I can't remember the model of it, but uh, any one you can buy. It's kind of like a a sports car. Like if you're a V8 person, you'd probably like this car from BYD. It's not that expensive. Uh, And I think from memory, it's over 800 kilometers uh, per charge. So the range is getting significant um tesla still has the advantage in my opinion in the autonomous driving element but for the electric vehicle component of what we see in the world today yeah it's pretty easy to um it's pretty easy to see all these other businesses and all these other brands keeping up with them
1: and speaking of uh segways how do you feel about lithium
0: someone asked me that the other day and i was thinking was it me no i don't know where that was but they were asking me about lithium i don't know
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, it's seen a massive, like we saw this massive run and it's one of those, you know, we advise a lot of families and one of those things that always comes up when different companies are in the news is why, aren't, why haven't we got more lithium, why haven't we got more this, why haven't we got more that? But then you've seen an absolute turnaround mm-hmm. uh, to the point that a lot of lithium mining, mines are either being mothballed or closed down and similar thing happened to nickel where BHP has written down their nickel businesses and um, and it's, I think we tend to forget. You no, know, there's always talk, there's a shortage of all these different commodities, but we forget that it is cyclical and new. Generally, for most things, more is found and more is mined. Um, I think this kind of provides a reminder that it is incredibly difficult to pick individual stocks within these kind of momentum trades. Um, and we've talked about ACDC a lot. Yeah, it hasn't yeah. performed particularly well, but it's been a lot more protected and diversified than owning those individual stocks.
0: Yeah, for They're,
1: sure. I mean, every time when we write a daily update, there's always a, it's either a lithium or a uranium stock at the top or the bottom every day. They're up or down 5% mm. a day just about.
0: Yeah. Um, it is one of those things, isn't it, where um, I guess you've got to understand the long-term supply demand uh, dynamics. And when we spoke um, to uh, BHP about this, they said the reason that they haven't invested in lithium is because while the demand is clearly obvious that we need more batteries, we need more renewable or sustainable energy storage solutions, the reality is that the supply side, it's abundant. There's supply everywhere. So folks need to be mindful that even though there is a commodity in the ground and people want it, how hard is it to get out? What is the marginal cost of production? So the cost of production. What I mean by that is, like, how much does it cost to dig it out of the ground? If the if the price of lithium, for example, is 100, and the cost to get it out of the ground is 20, if there is abundance, it will eventually fall to the marginal cost. Exactly. You know, and what you're going to end up with is, you know, that that market price. It may, even though that may be what we call equilibrium around the outside, um, you may see little fluctuations. But say something like iron ore, which is quite different. Iron ore isn't that common. Like it is as a, you know, as a resource, it is throughout the world, but it's not as common as lithium in terms of its where you can mine it from and how you can get it to market. Yeah. So that's why Australia is so valuable, uh, as well as some parts in South America. And that's why the you know the bargaining power, the
1: purchasing power of BHP and Rio in iron ore, where they you know their cost of unit production is like eight dollars, and it's selling at one hundred and ten. Yeah. And where if you're a lithium in a highly competitive and your, mar- your profit margin just disappears overnight.
0: Yeah. I think um, one of the things that is probably most interesting about BHP in particular is that copper, the Olympic dam assets and the copper yeah. uh, integration. I think that's the thing that people should be watching. Um, lithium itself, yeah, sure. I mean, there are many ways to play it. You've know, we've got the ACDC ETF, as you referred to before. That's a kind of like a whole of asset class because you get the vertical integration I think when we had Kanish Chug on the show talk about ACDC in the past he did mention that you know there's like a a vertical uh, kind of like vertically it's not vertically you know, a vertical supply chain so you've got car manufacturers you've got producers you've got technology providers yeah and at the time when you probably thought about that like well, why would you have BMW or Renault in an ETF that's for ACDC surely it would just have lithium batteries but the reality is, if you just had that, your ETF would be way down now. Yeah, it could be 80% or something down, I think. Yeah. Whereas now, like, it's pretty much flat year over year. Yeah. Um, whereas the many of the lithium companies have been smoked. And that's why
1: the answer to a lot of these questions is always, it depends. because Or, or ETF <clears> in this <throat> case. Because, you know, if you're investing for retirement, you're not- I don't think you- For most people, you shouldn't be- you you're less comfortable with the vagaries and the massive volatility than come with a single commodity company., yeah. so how do you diversify that? Still give yourself an exposure to what will be a long-term theme, but do it in a more diversified and uh, less risky way.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's one of those things where people need to be mindful of the hype. And this is same with AI right now, same with you know cannabis stocks quite a few years ago unless you can identify why your business has a sustainable competitive advantage, you know, the old cliche is like, Warren Buffett buys Heinz, he doesn't buy baked beans. Yeah. So, you take the baked beans in and you turn it into Heinz. Unless there's something unique about your business, don't tell me it's the assets, don't tell me it's like the cost of getting it out of the ground. Like, what is it that makes your business sustainable? It's it's not going to keep growing uh, its profits. Um, so, I've got a hypothetical to you, Probably Drew. Hypothetical. What are the most or some of the most overused finance words? Uh, one big one at the moment, which has been hanging around for a little while, is right size. Right size? Yeah. What does that mean?
1: Uh, so, in the most simple way, you've hired too many people and you're sacking them.
0: Oh, right size. Or in like the company's, you have too right. much
1: space, office space. So you're reducing it. What it's usually saying is you've gone too hard spending money, okay. and now you're cutting back on it. But we're right sizing rather than you know firing people. We right size. Sorry, air yep. quotation marks. Not everyone can see. That's one that kind of <laughs> annoys me. You know, this is where yeah. the the kind of uh, I R spin or the investor relations spin comes into announcements. Yeah. Um, that's one that that uh, gets me every time. Yeah. And, fair, you know yeah. the old friends quote. Pivot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's, definitely, it's definitely one of those. I have a pet peeve with retail investors. I hate it when people say that. Of retail, yeah. I you're hate it, hate it, hate it. I hate that they, like, it's a lot of finance snobs that come on the show and talk about it and they'll go retail investors. And I get it if you're trying to define something, like if you're trying to define what it means in the yeah. Corporations Act. But um, for folks that, I think it's just a way, like, I think it's almost a derogatory term.
1: What do you prefer, mum and dad?
0: No, I just prefer investors yeah. because my fundamental belief is that in 10 years from now, the majority of money in the country will be invested by direct investors. Yeah. Like you will directly invest. Whether your financial advisor does that for you, that they may do it through a platform that other people can access. Yeah. That's my belief. Um, but yeah, I, I I find that's hard. I also find a lot of f- financial types use the word quantum a lot. <laughs> A delta to describe the change in things. Um, like volatility is okay once or twice. Lean uh, in.
1: Lean in. Lean in.
0: Yep. Oh, wow. Oh, We're gonna- if we get into pop culture too, I hate the word vibe. <laughs> I love vibe. It's a vibe. It's <laughs> What generation are you? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, if someone come into the, the office and said, I'll oh, buy that stock, it's a vibe, you would be asking questions. But anyway, that was my hypothetical for Drew. If you have any pet peeves, if there's something that you really don't like in the finance industry, I think overusing complicated language or jargon is actually the easiest way to figure out if an investor knows what they're talking about. Uh, you can apply that filter for free. Um, it's definitely a checklist uh, for me to use. So, Drew- We do have some questions from the community that were sent in this week. Thank you to everyone who heckles us on the way in. We do appreciate that. For example, I'm going to send the first one over to you, Drew, about CSL in just a moment. Um, We receive your questions when you go into the link in your podcast player and it says ask a question. You can also do it on the RASC website. There's my question. Uh, You can hit that link in the menu. Select the Australian Investors Podcast. We are doing Q&As each and every week. No, no, Drew, the cameras aren't on, but I'm just looking at that one now thinking maybe it is isn't. maybe Monique, our producer, put the camera on and just walked out just to catch some gotcha moments. Um, send us your question. We don't know your personal circumstances needs goals or objectives, so be sure to speak to a financial planner who can take all of that into account and give you advice that is personalized to you, such as Drew here, who is a financial planner who is a specialist in helping people in retirement. You can get in contact with the financial planner using the link in your show notes or by emailing Drew at Waddlepartners.com.au. It is out there in the ether now, so to hell with it. <laughs> go for we'll it. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah, bring it on. He loves questions, so send them to Drew at waddlepartners.com.au. And so the the first question comes from someone, uh Bill Mitchell fanboy. And this person wrote in Drew, and they've written in twice now. So maybe they're getting four copies of your new book, Here we go. Golden Years. This Person writes in Bill Mitchell fanboy, Doctor Drew. I asked a question recently about your opinion of CF Cell after the announcements the other week. You mentioned you would answer it after last week, but didn't. I feel like you were ghosting me after a bad date. Is this true? So then <laughs> we we're getting riled up in these <laughs>
1: uh, in these podcasts occasionally. We lose direction. So. Um.
0: But are you ignoring uh, Bill Mitchell's memory? <laughs> it's a very difficult question to answer. <laughs> okay. I think
1: I wasn't quite over the uh, result that had just come out. And it wasn't really a result. It was more that the test for CSL112, which is one of their new treatments, was mm. not as, you know, and they got to stage two and then basically got blanketed and have to start all over again. Right. Uh, to be honest... Well, a lot of, like, long-term future value had been, uh, I think, actually not that much. I think it was a couple of dollars worth uh, in the share price had been attributed to that technology. Mm. So much is still reliant on the uh, blood plasma work, the immunoglobulins, (laughs) and... And, the, and now the kidney and dialysis treatment they're doing in, yeah. in Europe, that so much of it is driven by that, and that's growing at anywhere from 8%, 12%. So I think this is still a quality growth company. Um, we have we still have it in, in our models. Uh, it's, it's, all, all healthcare has kind of fallen off, not just CSL, ResMed, and, and these companies that are, could be impacted by the Azenpic, uh treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that's because bond yields have gone up and stayed up. Uh, and some of the more traditional sectors have been more attractive and, and paying out good dividends. But I think I've said all over their socials, I see global healthcare as, as the yeah, next, yeah. next potential leg. Um, you know, treatments being required, people are getting older. I st- we still see CSL as a rare and one of the few global leaders based in Australia.
0: Yeah. $136 billion market cap. It did fall recently on as a result of the news from $305 a few days later to around about $280. Uh, so it would have seemed like a lot at the time, but it has recovered a little bit of ground since then. Uh, CSL, obviously one of Australia's biggest companies and most successful by far on the world stage. Um, and good on you for keeping us accountable, Bill Mitchell fanboy. I actually do want to make, I, we didn't get a question about this, but it was in that headline last week, which was that we were going to talk about a super stock and that was a play on words because we did talk about the supermarkets in particular, Woolworths, coles uh, and everyone seemed to have forgotten about that already except for a couple of politicians that dressed up as pigs. Um, I, I did want to mention that my favorite supermarket in the world is Costco. Yeah. I don't think it's- Oh, you didn't say that last week. Yes, yeah. I wanted to say that, but Costco is the, is the name of that company that I wanted to mention because not only did it have Charlie Munger as- you know, on the board of directors, which is very, very, very rare. The way the company operates on a global scale is extreme, extremely unique and basically makes all of its profit margin from its membership. So effectively, the membership subsidizes the, the supermarket. And what's really interesting is that the way Costco has run its business has been a proven formula over many, many, many decades. One of the interesting things is they basically always force you, if you notice that where the stores are located... They are basically almost always force you to drive there. Yeah, and there's a reason for that, is because theft is a big problem in supermarkets, and so they wanted people to go with their car, so they have more room to take things home. But knowing that they're probably not going to get people that just go in and buy one thing and jump on the train or something yep. like that, they're getting a certain type of customer <laughs> that has to drive a car to the location and buy 400 packs of and buy 400 chips. and it just get even before you get in your car, they're. In your mind, telling you to take the car, empty the boot, and get ready to buy something. And everything around the business is so unique. And I just think that that's why it's a wonderful business. Do I think it would be a great investment? Well, I'm actually not as convinced. I think it will be a market beating one. I just don't think its best days are ahead of it. I think it's. It's doing some, you know, fulfilment and shipping and uh, online orderings and that sort of stuff nowadays. You can view the catalogue online. Um, Would you compare it to an Aldi? Yeah, but I think the key distinction between Costco and Aldi has always been that Aldi is cheap, Costco is good value, mm. and I think that's the key distinction. Is it's never cheap to go to Costco, but what you get is value. Like, I can tell you right now, the lamb cutlets from Costco are the best of I've ever eaten. <laughs> And I've been to like Cannings and that type of thing. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's really good, and that's reflected in it's really slim profit margins, but really consistent profit margins. Yeah, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful business. Really well run. They pro- they appoint people from in like internally, which is another part of their culture. Uh, the CEO is. Uh, Someone who started just in, uh, you know, basically what most people would see as not a professional CEO because he has lived and breathed Costco. He started on the floor, became a store manager, rose up the ranks, uh, and a few decades later, he's now at the top. It gives you a sense of who he is and who the business is, and unfortunately, that's actually quite unique. You know, a lot of younger people can't comprehend that you would be at a job for 30 or 40 years. But that's the kind of place Costco is. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it so unique in the global supermarket landscape, even to fend off competition from the likes of Amazon or um, Walmart, you know, all these businesses right around the world and still expand. Hell of a business. And, um, yeah, I I could see myself owning it, but I don't know. I wouldn't have a big position because I think it's competitive advantage. I just don't know if it's got pricing power, to be honest with you. Not like
1: Woolies or Coles
0: yeah we on that again yep yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah. Woolies drops the prices someone complains Bullies. Woolies raises the prices someone, someone complains. complains
1: anyway can't do anything right let's not touch that
0: yeah moving on uh, Andrew Deremouth Esquire author of Silver Fox Years writes in and says G'day gentlemen and congratulations on the book Drew regard, where did this come from this is not me this is a legit sure. question come on Silver so, Fox I'll take that every re- day of the week
1: Well, the book.
0: Um, No, kidding. You haven't seen the book yet, but you're probably going to get a copy now that you've written in. Remember, anyone that writes into us, I think over the next month, I was the promise, Uh, gets two copies of the book to save us on shipping and handling. We send you two instead of one. Got to distribute 50 of these things. In regard to salary sacrifice, Drew, is it generally a more effective strategy in younger years to take advantage of the effect of compounding over a longer period? Or is it a better strategy to take advantage of closer to retirement and instead look at wealth building outside of super in the younger years with "Quote unquote retail investing."
1: Oh, oh. I'm, say retail. We'll give him, we'll give him a pass oh. this is for this one mean week. Direct investing, direct or investing, non super investing.
0: I'm super keen to hear the "it depends" <laughs> scenarios. True, it depends. Okay, very much. Thank you very much. Very much. And that it is depends. the end of the answer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the the massive one here is that superannuation is subject to preservation. So if you're contributing it in your 20s or 30s, you're not going to touch that at least at the moment until you're 60. And for some, as every likelihood, that'll be at 65 or even 67 at some point. So the age pension, which is separate to super, uh, you have to be 67 to get that. Wouldn't surprise me if they match those two up. So the big it depends here is what are your objectives and what is your financial situation if you're younger uh, and and what's your income if you're younger and you're seeking to increase your your super contributions, you're getting a tax benefit, but you're also losing access to those funds. So if you wanna take on a mortgage, if you need a deposit, if you have a lifestyle change, you're not gonna have access to that. That's the big, it depends for this. Um, And I think, and another part is dependent on what sort of salary you're receiving at the moment. So if you're on a salary Mm. of $100,000 and the SG is now 11, 12%, uh, then you're getting 11 12000 so the the maximum additional contribution is like
0: $13000 so you can take yeah so you can go up to $27500 per financial year yeah um, about to increase to 30 yes as there is a few reasons why that has been slowly increased over time but um basically you have up to that limit to claim a tax deduction think yep. about it that way uh, if you say for example you get 15 and the, the limit's 27 and a half you can put an extra 12 and a half grand in one lump sum and claim deduction by lodging what's called a notice of intent to claim a tax deduction with your super fund. Um,
1: we tend to, lead, tend to stray away from maximizing concessional too much before your 40s. Yeah. Uh, generally because you've got school fees or mortgage repayments or other children, other things that come up in that period.
0: It's also risk yeah. the longer you leave it in there- because you might not make it yeah. a 65 67
1: but as you see here you can just invest into another entity it could be in your personal name could be in a trust could be in any sort of uh, any sort of entity and still get the benefit of compounding you're just not getting it in as a ta- as tax effective an environment
0: I think basically everyone's going to end up using family trusts to be honest yeah but it's not like yeah I think yeah yeah can kind of ask to that's a separate discussion for another week um, so yeah, I would agree with you there, Drew. I'd say a lot of people do make an extra little contribution for insurance that they might yeah. hold inside super. And um, there's a fa- fantastic com- conversation coming up soon on insurance on this podcast. I feel if like
1: self-employed people tend to use the maximum uh, limits more than in, you know salaried uh, people in our experience. So you know, a, a group of tradies or a tradie running a Electrical electrician business, yeah. Uh, they're more likely to maximise those deductions. Um, hmm. That's what I've found in my experience, anyway. And then, you, you have to remember the contribution limits to superannuation now allow you to contribute up to seventy-five in non-concessional or after-tax contributions. So you're not as limited to that sixty-five year gap or cap as you used to be. So you can con- keep contributing into retirement these days.
0: I like that like that um it's a wonderful question because a lot of people are going to amass bigger super balances earlier in life over the next few decades so um i agree with you drew for what it's worth around the 40 years old i think that's a good 40 45 i think that's a good kind of gray zone where you go from okay i'm going to try and build wealth outside super yeah and this comes back to your goals doesn't it like if you want to retire early if you're starting early Well, you need to use vehicles outside of super. But of course, as you get it closer and closer to retirement, I think most people, if they're not maximizing their super contributions in their 50s, that's probably the first thing to think about. And then it's the other stuff. Um, Of course, try and do it both ways. But there's a good question here as a follow-up. This is from Super Aussie. I've been personally investing in the stock market for a number of years, and whilst my super fund is generating a reasonable rate of return, I'm becoming frustrated with the limited control I have on investment decisions. I have recently noticed that my super fund provides an option to take complete control and self-manage my super investments in addition to providing the standard off-the-shelf pre-mixed type options like balanced or growth, etc. What would be the main difference or key considerations between going down the self-managed path within a super fund Versus starting up my own independent self-managed super fund or SMSF, and question. I will just say that we don't, uh, we can't give any type of personalised advice, and that's particularly important with a decision around superannuation because there are many other things that come into consideration here. Things like insurance cover you may lose. If you do make changes to your super fund, for example, I keep looking at that camera, don't I, Drew? Um, <laughs> what I would say in this instance, Drew, is to generalize this question, uh, maybe if you speak to the the, the yeah, said- benefits of SMSFs and yes. I can speak to the other one, which is the, the super SMSF Lite, they call it a lot of the time.
1: Yes. So, there's three types of super fund. There's an industry fund, which you're likely referring to, and you're looking like at a Aussie member- Super
0: or Rest or something like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you're looking at a member direct option within that where yep. you get the option to invest directly, pick which stocks you want to hold, put a term deposit or an ETF yeah, or something like that. There's a corporate super plan, which is like Australian ethical that we yep. mentioned. So, it's managed by a fund manager of, of sorts. And then there's self-managed. Each of those, you've got- uh, different levels of options. Mm-hmm. Generally, uh, less options in industry and more in co- corporate. I mean, Australian I think it was quite a unique example, probably too mm. <laughs> specific for that one. Uh, and then SMSF, and as the name suggests, you basically can take full control over the over where you're investing your retirement assets, mm. uh, and that's the main reason people seek out smsfs is because they want to whether they want to invest in non-traditional assets like Mm. property commercial property residential property or they just want to put together a group of you know stocks and term deposits that they prefer or they might have an ethical preference and they don't they're not comfortable with what an industry fund or a corporate fund uh holds the big benefit uh of smsfs beyond uh control and transparency so knowing every one of your investments is the cost so one of the issues in the advice or in the superannuation industry is that every uh, fund or super fund charges a fee is based on a percentage. Yep. So the higher your balance goes, the more you're paying. Doesn't necessarily take cost more money to manage your portfolio <laughs> in yeah, that way. Yeah. Whereas an SMSF, if you're doing it yourself, the only real cost you have is an administrative cost of the cost of a tax return and an audit each year. Um, generally, you're looking at anywhere from 3000 to four thousand dollars for that as a tax and return a, and audit, yep, and it doesn't go it doesn't um, go up or down based on your assets. Uh, it, it basically is a fixed cost. Naturally, once you invest into shares, ETFs, then there you have management fees on top of those. But the big one, big driver is that cost. And uh, ASIC said it's it's cost effective for fun people with more than five hundred thousand dollars combined in super. We're more like seven fifty is where it becomes really cost effective. Mm. But the the fixed cost versus percentage and the ability to control every decision are the, the two of the key benefits on SMSFs.
0: Yeah, and you can have more than one member, right? So You have six members, yeah. Yeah, so you can have a family or- Combined something. husband wife. Yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah, um, which makes a lot of sense. Um, the thing that's uh, interesting is uh, for the member direct options. Uh, so member direct, for those of you that don't know, member direct is kind of like you log into Aussie Super or whatever, And when you log in there, you can you can choose from like growth or high growth or something like that, or you can go to their their other side, which is where you can pick your own ETFs. And typically, there's a really limited like menu. When I say really, like uh, some of them don't allow you to invest outside the ASX 300 or ASX 200, um, which is probably for good reason, to be honest. For most people, they think, oh, I can get my hands on this. I'll just go and buy the next growth stock in lithium. Yeah, and it just because it's in the ASX 100, like it doesn't mean it's a good investment. And so I think it's actually quite good that people can't put their hands on some of that as much as they'd like. Uh, I actually, I'm actually a fan of the, the SMSF Lite, sometimes referred to, or the member direct. I'm actually a fan of it for people that don't have those big balances, Drew. If you yeah. do want to inv- just invest in an index fund yeah, or you do want to invest in a very diversified, low cost portfolio, you can do that. Uh, I don't, I just use the index option because Aussie Super has an index option. Um, a lot of them do. Like Rest has one, I believe. Uh, Host Plus has one. I think the, the
1: drawback is just that control. That yeah. you know, you you can't access everything you want. So you have yeah. to you have to want have to have a reasonable balance, and then you also have to really want to decide what you're holding and what you're not holding. Yeah. I mean, we've found SMSFs are more popular and more suited to retirees. Because the approach of, you know, an index approach or a lot of uh, other super funds is very growth focused, a lot of alternatives and a lot of most members of super funds are in their 20s, the average member. Uh, Whereas once you hit retirement, you want to know what your cash flow is. You want to know how much money you've got in the bank at all times and know you're not selling shares or things that have fallen solely because you're paying out your pension then. Uh, So that's one of the other ones will be the, the transparency you get as a retiree to know you have cash in the bank.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like it. Um, so that's a really good question. And people, like well, those two kind of tie together really well is people investing more, but also wanting to be more mindful. I've taken it from basically everyone around our community who says that the RAS community is very uh, self-directed. Uh, it's just important to understand that you may be self-directed, but when it comes to big balances of money, you basically want to make sure that it, it is fit for purpose. You are doing what you should be doing based on you know, as objective a look at the data as possible. And that means staying diversified, staying low cost, not to the extent that your returns become nothing, but um, being mindful of what you can control and what you can't. Shadow Cat writes in and says, Any comment on the latest news from your old favorite dub?
1: <laughs> we covered that for about 20 <laughs> minutes. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm just going to make notes, dubby dubby do. But what I would say is the thing that you can refer back to. I wrote an article in 2022, October, um, say, Dubba is in a bad place, now what? Um, if you go back and read, there's a section in the article, they say it's poor form to quote yourself, but I will just read this bit out. Um, just look at the sections where I mentioned about acquisitions. I think that's the section that kind of spooked me the most. Uh, I'll try and put a link in the show notes for today's episode uh, for people that are interested. But basically what happens in companies that for, for companies that acquire other businesses the easiest way to say growth is organic remember there's organic growth which is just the the company selling more widgets or services the easiest way to kind of make investors think that you're ex- experiencing organic growth is to buy a company in a previous financial year and then say this year that it's gone up yeah even though it's acquired, you paid for it it was acquired last yeah. year. But you don't know how much of it was acquired. So this year it looks like it's organic. And I think um, that might have some clues for us as investors um, of what's gone on. Forests Groupie, spelled with two R's for Forrest. I thought you were going to skip this one. How do invest in Andrew Forrest Tatarong? That's verbatim. <laughs> 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 looks like an awesome group of companies. So how It do is-, I, it is, is uh, Sorry, almost, yeah. I almost dropped one in there. Sorry, it's Friday afternoon here. Um, Tatarang is a investment vehicle by billionaire Fortescue founder Andrew Forrest. Uh, it has its portfolio divided into agri-food, energy, health, technology, consumer, property, resources, and other. And the company has a diversified portfolio. Uh, Andrew Forrest obviously has- uh, There's a a wonderful uh, book called Twiggy that was written about him, uh, and he's had this wonderful uh, ability to identify things like iron ore and to get financing for the Fortescue business, but even then to take that and then to elevate the business in many, many other ways, like with the future industries business and acquire other businesses. For example, within Tatarang, you will find businesses such as uh, an investment in Bega, an investment in AACo or AACo, right. which is Australian Agricultural, um, which is like a meat uh, business. Uh, you So, will f- listed
1: companies, two listed companies.
0: Yes. You will find a Kubra, which mm. is Drew's favorite love style it, of that. hat. Uh, and <laughs> RM really Williams, which is my favorite version $600 of $600 boot. boot. <laughs> so, if you're listening- <laughs> Send us. <laughs> send us care of drew Meredith <laughs> no, but seriously RM Williams uh, wonderful wonderful brand Akubra wonderful Australian brand and I'm so proud to see these back in Australia uh, also the rugby team Western force um, there are many other things that go on and on and on so it's a great it's super portfolio. interesting
1: and he's buying up some really good Aussie brand names which I think is a great story that yeah. you know using all those iron ore billions to invest back in the country um, and keeping production on shore I think for a lot of them I won't be uh, I believe, don't take me word for it I
0: believe with yeah. um, Aaron Williams they are yes I think he's excellent?
1: Uh, I, the, there's I mean naturally there's a few companies there' ASX listed, so you could buy maybe Walu isn't anymore, but Bega, AAco, you can copy Hostel. some of this. yeah. But then a lot of the investments he makes is actually in kind of joint ventures with other groups that the part of Tatarang and I think Twiggy's approach is to bring other people along for the journey. So I know that so Squadron Energy, which is their renewable energy projects, bought Wind lab, which is oh, uh, did it. Yeah, the uh, wind power wind turbine business. and that's also part owned by Federation. So, oh, you know, it? the, yeah, the yeah. private equity, yeah. Australian local Melbourne private equity group. So, sometimes there's other ways to get access to these deals that, that you can't see just on the ASX, hmm. but you can't unfortunately invest in Tatarang.
0: Yeah. It's actually yeah, a wonderful um, collection of companies here. Uh, you can head to Tatarang, spelled dot com, and you can see the full list. And we don't uh, have a connection, unfortunately, for a so we don't know how to invest in something like that. But there are businesses in Australia that do have diversified portfolios of public companies being on the stock exchange and private companies. We've talked about uh, businesses like Washington H. Soul Pattinson. There are some listed investment companies that do something similar. Uh, even businesses like Wes Farmers do these types of things uh, through something like uh, Premier Investments, which is the owner of Smiggle and Just Jeans and these types of businesses. Um, that, that, Although they're not, um, how should I say, although they're not uh, like pr- full private companies or half-owned, you do get in one investment, say in Premier Investments, which is run by Solomon Liu, uh, you do get exposure to like five or so retailers. Uh, even Breville Group, the, the maker of appliances and those types of things that may be in your kitchen, has other investments, say in Maya or other businesses uh, dotted across the place. So you do get uh, exposure to multiple businesses, but it's actually a really good way to think about diversification Um, Like Berkshire Hathaway is another great example of owning many different parts of other businesses. Okay. We've probably got time for one more question, Drew. Um, I don't know which one you want to look at, but there's been some really good ones today. Maybe Moonshine Washing Washing Line. line. Moonshine Washing Line. Yep. (laughs) So Moonshine Washing Line writes in and says, fellow punters, don't know who he's talking to or she, (laughs) um, does a director buying shares on market always signal that they believe the stock will go well? (laughs) Or can they be buying for other reasons? I have observed one small cap fund that has done terribly over the last few years, but pays a nice dividend, where directors have in stages bought large sums totaling over 10 million. So I think you're saying small cap
1: company, company not a fund. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so basically, That's a really good question. Yeah, it is. Because a lot of people take this as the only signal. Yeah. Uh, and th- so th- where does this come from? So this is a great question, uh, Punter. Where it comes from is that some people have cottoned on to this belief that when a director buys shares in the company that he or she runs, because they have all the information and we only have limited information from the outside, that they must know something and it must be a good investment if they're doing it.
1: And they're only allowed to trade at certain times as well.
0: Yeah, they have blackouts yeah. and they have yeah. you know windows where their board of directors approves them to buy shares. Um, and that's obviously they're not allowed to act on private information or non-public information.
1: I feel like a director selling tells you more than a director buying.
0: Yeah. So, what's the old cliche? Um, A director buys for many reasons and sells for one. One. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Now, some of the people that sell will tell you that it's for tax Tax reasons, which is the classic-
1: Diversification.
0: Yeah. Diversification. And to be honest, like if I was a billionaire- Prometicus. And I had- $999 million of my money in one thing, I would probably want to diversify a little bit as well. So, you've got to take it in context. So, yeah, I agree. Selling is more of a red flag, but it's not the only flag in your arsenal. If you're an investor, you you should develop a checklist, even if that checklist only got five things on it. It shouldn't have less than that, to be honest. It should probably have more like 30 or 40 things that you build up over time and you refine. But really. I wouldn't just take buying as the only signal
1: no I think it's it's very difficult as well because every buyer will have a different story um, I know there's plenty of examples where a company is has struggled or had earnings downgrades and the first thing directors do is try and go out and be clear on buying stock to give confidence back around their own confidence in the company mm. but that doesn't always work uh, so I think and there's and there's cases where yeah they just think the company's doing great and they've got great expectations so uh, as a single signal, I'd be very wary.
0: Yeah, yeah. Directors buying or selling, uh, I don't want to butter our bread, but our team, when we look at companies, has about 40 or 50 different things on our checklist. If you're part of the Value Investor pr- Program Moonshine Washing Line, the Value Investor Program on Rask Education, you can get the full checklist, you can download it as a Google Doc or Excel spreadsheet, uh, and you can run through that spreadsheet yourself. Management is a big part of management in that checklist. But at the end of the day, there's so much more to it. Like I remember uh, talking to an investor about a company that was on the ASX and them saying, oh, the director only owns like six or seven percent. And I calculated it. I was like, that's about like $350 million worth of shares. (laughs) That's a lot of money. It doesn't matter if it's only six or seven percent. What matters is how much does it matter to that one person? It's like Tim Cook at Apple. Um, He didn't own anywhere near the amount of shares that Steve Jobs did. But he'd still been a lifer. He'd been Apple forever and he would. He still had enough shares that it was 14 times his annual salary in <laughs> shares. So, in terms of financial incentive, that probably means nothing to him to be yeah. honest, but you know he's got it. So, take it in context. We don't always know. Um, ultimately, you want that alignment with your management team, but it doesn't. it's not a hard and fast rule. Uh, so, we've got to pick a question and name and you've got to do our- um, uh, our ceremonious dad joke for the week, Drew. I kind of like Andrew Derrimuth Esquire, author of Silver Fox Years. It did, did get you going. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, author, uh, sorry, Andrew Derrimuth Esquire, author of Silver Fox Years. That was your name that you gave to us, <laughs> um, which is a heck of a name. It's a good question in itself. Um, you are the winner of this week's Value Investor Program, $499 course that you can get on Rask Education. If you earn income from it, maybe it's tax deductible. Ask your accountant. Uh, for you, it's free, however. Silver Fox years. Drew's new book along with Jamie Nemesis is coming out. It's called Golden Years. It's coming out in April and it's all to do with retirement. We will be doing a retirement series around the time of the book release, but it's from Major Street Publishing and you will be able to find links as it comes available and I'm sure pre-order it. Um, If you want to buy it for your parents, for your partner or for yourself, there will be a link in the show notes over the coming weeks as it comes available. But in the meantime, everyone who writes into us and gets their question read out on the show gets two copies. We've got 50 to give away. So let us know. Uh, If you did write in, send us an email to say, hey, that was me. Uh, I won the Value Investor Program or hey, that was me. I'd like to get two copies of Drew's book. Uh, We don't have them yet. So bear with us. But when we do... They'll be yours. Drew, you've got to take us off into the sunset with a lovely question. It's been pretty all over the place today. I'm not going to lie. We've had questions on stocks, on super, on Tatarang, had a bit of a preamble with one of our long running um, narratives here being a certain tech stock. (laughs) Quote unquote. I'm trying to bring it all together
1: here. <laughs> okay, here all right. No go. singing. I've been told no singing, no, and no, some absolutely. of my jokes have been incredibly, incredibly bad. So it is a bit punny. Is it punny? I'm not sure. Um, is that a joke? <laughs> uh, no, maybe not. What do you call a group of killer whales playing instruments?
0: I feel like it's this one's obvious. It's very obvious. Killer something? An orchestra. <laughs> Uh orchestra. I get it because they're <laughs> orchestra. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I think it's, burn, uh, yeah,
0: it's
1: a slow burn that It's a slow burn. A, slow yeah, burn. yeah,
0: I like it. Um, and there was also a wonderful note that came in this week from Commodity Caregiver. Um said, just a note, I've learned so much from the Rast Network, mostly the investing channel, so thanks for what you do. Commodity Caregiver your name is on the show so you can get a copy of Drew's book as well. Thank you for that wonderful uh, note that you sent in. You do have a wonderful question. We'll try and answer it next week when we have a little bit more time. But keep your questions coming in, peeps. Uh, we love it. We love the banter. We love hearing from you. And keep giving us tips and tricks and feedback along the way. Drew, from Model Partners, as always, thanks for joining me. Good to see you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Before you go, I wanted to share some things with you. Specifically, I wanted to tell you about the 10 ways that Rask could help you in 2024. As many of you know, Rask has grown to become one of the biggest investing and finance platforms in Australia. Across our podcasts, our websites, our memberships, and so on, we now engage around 200,000 Aussies which considering we started in a humble lounge room on a Kmart desk, one of those old fake white wooden ones, I'm pretty ecstatic about where we are six years later. As part of becoming one of Australia's biggest platforms for wealth creation and preservation, we now have a very special position in the country in that we can bring you some of the best, most thoughtful, expert-driven ways to protect and grow your wealth. And I'm going to share some of those with you now. I've got 10 ways that we can potentially help you or match you with someone who can. The first thing that I want to tell you about is the biggest step we've ever taken at Rask, which is the launch of our Rask Invest platform. This is a platform that lets our team, led by me, invest for you, primarily through low-cost diversified ETFs. We'll have three strategies at launch And every investor who comes through can pick one of the three strategies being a balanced strategy, a growth strategy, and a high growth strategy. The balanced strategy focuses on passive income and the high growth strategy focuses on longer term compounding. You will find a link in your podcast player to register your interest. We will be taking off soon. Number two, if you prefer to DIY your investing, you can join me and over 4,000 members inside Rascore. That's our full ETF and ASX share research membership community. You can join now and you'll get updated ETF portfolio recommendations every quarter, as well as ongoing ASX and global stock research. Every single month, we call them the all-star stocks. You get that alongside the ETF portfolios as well as other members-only content. It's called RASCore. Number three, our first ever partnership with a business other than our own was a business by the name of Blusk, which has since become Flint Group. Flint Group is led by Chris Bates and Christian Stevens, two of Australia's most highly regarded mortgage brokers. Already over 200 RASK community members have begun the RASC plus Flint Group mortgage broking process. You can click the link in your podcast player if you're refinancing, investing, a first home buyer, or whatever. You've probably heard Chris on the show many times. Number four, you can connect with our most trusted financial advisors. Whether you're 25 years old, just graduated uni and looking to set yourself up, or approaching or in retirement and you've got that nest egg you want to protect and generate a passive income from, you can get in contact with our trusted panel of financial advisors. You can find the link in your podcast player. It's there each and every week. Just click the thing that says financial planning. Number five, if you want specialist insurance advice, as Warren Buffett said, rule number one is don't lose money. And rule number two is don't forget rule number one. Insurance is vitally important, especially when it comes to your number one asset, you whether you're a single income household or a couple, and you just wanna protect what would happen if. You wanna protect your family if something goes wrong. You wanna protect your spouse if you lose your job. You wanna protect yourself if you hurt yourself on the weekend at footy. Insurance is a way to do that. And I think the best way to do insurance is through a financial planner. And there's a few reasons for that, but one of them is sometimes Some insurers will only work with financial advisors, but they can also be your companion as you go through the sometimes daunting process of getting insurance done properly. Sometimes you might not even know, but you're not even covered, even though you think you are. So get the right advice. You'll find a link in the show notes to check that out. Number six, buying property. If you're like me and you're thinking of buying property in the next 12 months, or maybe you've already invested and you're looking to downsize, getting the right advice and being able to build wealth through property is a proven strategy. It might be one of the most contentious, but I think that we have one of Australia's best property coaches in our ranks. That is Pete Warden. Pete is the host of the now super popular Australian property podcast by Rask, and he's also my analyst team's macro consultant. So if you're a member of Rascor, you will have seen Pete's name around the traps. He's a property coach and buyer's agent, and he works with a select number of people each and every year. Just a note on this. This is not a commercial thing with Pete. Pete just has great services, so we offer them to the community. And when he fills up, he fills up. You can find out more about Pete's coaching in the show notes. Next up, tracking your portfolio for tax? I think you are. Because I think you have to. So we've partnered with Nevexa to help you manage your share and ETF reporting, whether it's tax or performance. All RASC users get 20% off an annual plan with Navexa. You can sync your portfolio with Nevexa's software and it automatically tracks your dividends, your capital gains tax, and more. Again, not a commercial partnership. We don't make anything from working with Nevexa, but they do create some great tools which the Rask community uses each and every day. Number eight. Want to run your own business? Maybe you already do. If you want more profit, but less stress, less time consumed, and less energy lost, get in contact. We have a partner business called Inflection. The Inflection Accelerator Program is a complete online course that helps you and a community of members engage and follow a proven strategy for growing your business. I'm grateful to be one of the coaches inside the Accelerator program, helping business owners right across Australia. You can find more following the link in your podcast player. It's the one that says coaching. Number nine, if you haven't already checked it out, join over 20,000 other people who tune into the Rask YouTube channel. It is completely free and you get notified when we go live and when we publish podcast episodes. There is a podcast on the Rask network each and every day, as well as bite-sized material that's less than 60 seconds or those really punchy tutorials and webinars that are just 15 minutes that take you through a really exciting topic, whether it's how to buy a property, whether it's how to pick a dividend ETF. Some of our most popular content actually just explains things like, what the heck is franking credits and how do I calculate if I've got some? That's on our YouTube channel. Number 10, if you want to be a better investor, a saver, a better partner with money, or just understand your own relationship with money, you can do that all of that by going to the Rask Education website and taking a free course. We've enrolled over 26,000 students at the time of this recording, and we're on a mission to get to 100,000 in the next few years. Rask Education is our mostly free education platform covering everything from budgeting and automation to the, probably I would say, the best value investing program in the country. So whether you're a value investor, an intermediate investor, you want to know how to value Woolworths shares, or you simply just want to understand what ethical investing is or buy your first property and what actually happens on settlement day, head to the Rask Education website and enroll in something today. It is free and it supports us because then I can come on here next month and I can say we've got 27,000 and hopefully we reach critical mass where we can help more Australians manage their money better. Thank you for listening to this long-winded ad. If you want to get in contact with me, you know where to go. There's a link in your show notes. Basically, these 10 services, even though some of them we don't make any money from, support RASC and allow us to produce these podcasts, attract the biggest and best guests from Australia and around the world, and bring them to you to answer your questions. Thank you for being part of the RASC network, and thank you for your ongoing support. Bye for now.